0: I'm going to put in that chant again, the Arahant Bhikkhuni chant in Pali. Does that work? No? It's working or should it be a bit louder? Or well, I said, Okay, I think what it is, it's, it's away from your, it's yeah, tucked. Can you turn it the other way around, like opposite, so that the, the microphone's inwards rather than yeah. outwards? Because I think you're obstructing. Mm-hmm. can I, I try? Okay, now we're gonna do the chant. The first time Savica bunda seta sasalta sotin carotuno. Te rippalavanna il dimantina muttama. Savica bunda seta sasalta sotin karotuno Vinyayatari rināng pata charati vesuta. Tapita agatanam hisata sotin karotuno. dhamma katikanang pavara tamadin namika ta pitta ang gata nam hi sata so nanda ahusata so ting karutuno arata viriana agarsona āgārsona-terīnti-namikā Tāpita-ta-tātātānāṁ ta soting no dibhacaku kam Visuutan ja nassa pitätä sotin karotunu, kun tällä kessi pikuni kippabin tapita yevatanam hisätä sotin Teri BANDA KAPILANI BUBBAJATI NAM MANUSSARI TAS SANG EVA PIKUNI Teri SATA SO TINKHAROTUNO BANDA KACHANA MAHA MUTTAMA Chi na sukar soting karotu no luka chivara Angga Sikalamata bhikkhuni ku ni salda di karotu no Anya Palentuno papaya so karoka disambhava So tapana ta se ka sata panyasi so satahana sata so So now we're going to sit for about half an hour and then uh, Ananda Bodhi and myself each give a short reflection. <clears throat> this morning uh, I, I spoke about the you know these intertwining processes of uh, wisdom or, or panya which is uh You know, our own experience understood and uh, confidence or sometimes also called faith and sadha, which allows that insight to spread out into our lives, which means to live it. And uh, uh, when we were still in England, our teacher, Ajahn Sumedha, he often said, to stand under, you know, to really get very close to our experience, to be intimate with our experience, to understand it by going really, really close and uh, allow it to inform us on a very deep uh, level. And that's what we call also realization, and that is wisdom, becomes wisdom. And uh, that's not a body of knowledge, but that's, it's more an active uh, quality. So not, not memorizing suttas or things like lists or things like that, but it's, it's action. To act in a way, to make the right choices, to sometimes say something, sometimes not say something, and to, to know uh, from, you know, from the heart, from the chitta what is an intuitive quality so this uh, wisdom and and uh, confidence of faith they uh, they are working together and uh, so step by step we adjust our lives so that our insights are reflected in our daily choices and then we are setting clear priorities and then really act on them and if we if we don't do that, then it's not real wisdom, then it's only kind of theoretical knowledge which hasn't really been integrated through acting on it. Maybe there's not in, the insight isn't strong enough, the faith isn't strong enough, and we we kind of know, but we we, we are not living it, and then it's never going to really take off the practice. so this mutual furthering by living the insights, in the crucible of our lives, you know, that keeps unfolding the path for us. And then we can see, you know, how our choices, they really make a difference, of course. And if we live accordingly, you know, to the Dhamma, then... uh, the Dharma is leading us ever more, you know, to suitable circumstances that support our opening or blossoming, and it doesn't necessarily mean comfortable circumstances, but suitable cir- uh, circumstances. And uh, and that is not like a, you know, a fixation on a goal because that again, you know, would be rather blinding us. But it's it's like a clear. Like a guiding star, we know where we are going. For example, you know, the three refugees and the five precepts are a very good GPS on the path. You know, we know where we are going, but at the same time, we have to always look. There's all kinds of stumbling blocks on the road. And those stumbling blocks themselves, you know, that's the path. One after the next. And we take it as an opportunity to understand to learn from these experiences. And then, you know, through that kind of practice, that leads to a gradual refinement of our inner drive for happiness. And that's the same in all schools of Buddhism, so, you know, in the beginning, when we are not yet practicing, we are looking for happiness in all kinds of... uh, situations and substances and so on and so forth. And then, you know, if we keep uh, doing that for some time and we are lucky enough, you know, that we, um, you know, have a sense of perspective, we we start to see, no, it doesn't really work that way. Happiness, you know, is coming uh, to us not through the senses, true happiness. There can be a lot of enjoyment and that's also... Uh, not to be you know shunned, but knowing also the um, danger of that you know knowing the danger of addiction, for example, and all kinds of uh, difficulties you know, which can arise if we are too much um, dominated by sense experience. And uh, through, you know, practicing and cultivating, for example, the Seven Factors of Awakening, the inner drive for happiness, which we all have and we share, you know, with very primitive life forms, such as amoebas and so on, you know, if they they also want to have a pleasant feeling and not unpleasant. So that's nothing special somehow. But we can use that drive and and refine it more and more, and then you know sometimes been speaking about this subtle joy, which comes from not wanting anything. You know when the mind is temporarily free from wanting or not wanting anything, that's a subtle joy, which is uh, something you know we can cultivate. We can. Uh, sensitize our faculty so we can really uh, notice that more and more and that's a joy which doesn't depend on the senses and uh, today I've brought another poem by Bikuni Soma and it uh, that kind of uh, refinement of The inner drive for happiness is spoken about in this poem and more. And first I just want to explain a little bit about her life. That's Halisei's book again. Soma was the daughter of the chief minister of King Bimbisara, a great devotee of the Buddha and also the Buddha's friend. As a young adult, she became a lay follower of the Buddha and then later ordained She became enlightened after only a short time. After that, she enjoyed the happiness of the freedom that enlightenment gives. One day, she went into the forest to rest at midday and Mara, that's the personification of uh, of, how would you say, the evil or delusion, invisible approached her. He spoke the first verse from up in the air in an attempt to undermine her her practice soma rejected what mara said and then spoke the next two verses so that's a it's a conversation between the bikuni soma and mara spoken by mara it is hard to get to the place that sages want to reach, it is not possible for a woman, especially no, not one with only two fingers worth of wisdom, which means, you know, little wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and Soma replied, what does being a woman have to do with it? Yeah, right. <laughs> what, ca- what counts is that the heart is settled and that one sees what Really is. What you take as pleasures are not for me. The mass of mental darkness is split open. Know this, evil one, you are defeated, you are finished. <laughs> 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 and then another and translation by Aya Soma, she's an Italian Bikuni in, uh, who lives near New York. Verses of the Elder Soma. Whatever can be attained by the seers, that stage so hard to reach, cannot be attained by a woman with her wisdom as small as two fingers. How does being a woman have anything to do with a well-collected mind? When knowledge is present and one sees rightly into Dhamma, in this wo- in this way, all fixation is. Anih- annihilated, the mass of darkness destroyed. Thus be aware, wicked one, death, you are destroyed. And then I also have the reimagination by Maddy Soma, happiness. He said, How could a woman who knows no more than how to cook, clean and make babies possibly reach the further shore on the way to which so many good men have drowned or turned back? I said, the mind is neither male nor female. When directed towards the arising and passing away of all things, it easily penetrates this mass of darkness. Be serious. What's a few inches of meat compared to the immeasurable reaches of the liberated mind? (laughs) (laughs) When directed towards the arising and passing away of all things, it easily penetrates this mass of darkness. Be serious. What's a few inches of meat compared to the immeasurable reaches of the liberated mind. So this insight into emptiness, you know, the immeasurable reaches of the liberated mind, which, which has, you know, the mind liberated from these filters of conditioning, the cognitive and emotional filters has a ever deeper and wider range of experience through cutting, through um, identifications and uh, deconstructing all of those patterns through insight, and uh, you know liberates us from mistaken identities such as you know that we are really ultimately male or female or whatever identity, you know, we have accumulated through conditioning. And that's, you know, they gradually dissolve through understanding, through really standing under, through really going close, having the courage to really look very closely. And then this insight into not-self or emptiness is the central insight in the Buddha's teaching and at the time when the Buddha started to teach that was a complete new teaching in Iron Age India that hasn't been taught before he came onto the scene. And he has, the Buddha made very clear that this realization of emptiness or not-self how it's also called anatta, is essential for liberation. And the first time, you know, when that is is clearly happening is at the time of stream entry. And uh, there are four stages of awakening, from stream entry and then the next stage is called uh, once-returner, non-returner, up to arahant and uh, you know, once Returner is spoken about that someone who has realized that stage would only one more time be reborn in the human realm and then non Returner will not be born anymore and Arahant is completely freed from any fetters in terms of, you know, being born again. There are ten fetters. And uh when the mind sees really clearly, it adapts to reality, and that's a, a very a special mind moment, which is called adaptation moment or anuloma chitta in Pali. And that's uh, you know when the mind adapts to reality, to the clarity it has seen in that moment, and that is not easy to describe in you know in language. But one example in which I find pretty helpful is you know, imagining that for a moment the ocean is parted and we are seeing to the bottom of the ocean just for a moment and then the ocean comes flooding back in. But because of that seeing, for example, with stream entry, the first three fetters are permanently let go of or cut through. And the dhamma eye has a in that moment, and uh, so the water comes back, but it's different than before. And this anuloma chitta adaptation moment changes the mind because the mind has seen so clearly that it adapts; it responds with adapting. And it's like, you know, this uh, ocean is split to the bottom for just one moment. Is like, at that moment, there is no I there. Normally, you know, our experience, our thinking process, everything is arranged around a perception of I, I am. And in that moment, the I is not present just for that moment. There's nobody there. And, you know... In the Theragata, for example, you know, the corresponding book with the awakening poems of the monks, there is even, you know, even child monks have that experience. For example, Rahula, the son of the Buddha, they were enlightened at a very early age, I think seven years or something like that. So it isn't a great intellectual feat. It is something else. And uh, I just want to shortly, you know, uh, read the ten fetters for you. I don't want to go into detail now, but just to have an idea what that is. So the first three fetters, they are called in the Pali language samyojana And each of those ten fetters is a certain kind of clinging, a certain kind of attachment. And the first three are permanently let go of with stream entry and that's personality belief, you know, believing that I am a separate entity walking around, you know, on uh, on the stage of planet Earth and I'm, I'm completely separate. So that one is is uh, let go of. The next one is skeptical doubt in relationship, you know, that... that that it is possible to reach liberation or that i you know can can do that that i can um uh, free myself from uh, craving and the third one is clinging to mere rules and rituals you know thinking that if i perform certain rules and if i keep certain rules and and uh, just keeping the precepts alone is not enough there is, needs to be also real interest in reality so that's the first three and and they are let go of by the first stage which is uh, stream entry and then the next two is sensuous craving and ill will or aversion those the grosser form of those two is overcome for the once returner and completely overcome for the non-returner. So that's the first five. And then the last five are completely let go of with uh, arahant the last one. The complete uh, ending of all attachments and of all Dukkha, which is the same thing. Giving ending of all craving is the same as ending of Dukkha. And those five remaining ones are craving for fine material existence and craving for inmaterial existence, that very refined um, stages of, of samadhi or of concentration. Conceit and conceit is the you know, the thought I'm better than you, I'm worse than you, I'm the same as you. This kind of you know, thinking and comparing. That's kind of a remnant of the personality belief, which was already let go of uh, for the stream entra, and then restlessness, and the last one, ignorance. So that's the ten fetters. Just a very kind of quick overview, and uh, and the most important thing, you know, for this to happen, this letting go of these fetters and those stages of awakening the most important thing for this to happen is that uh, our meditation and our daily life they have to go in the same direction you know not just like we are meditating and then we're just going going crazy again afterwards and that doesn't really work So that, you know, and then if meditation and daily life go in the same direction, then through that, you know, we work ourselves slowly out of these fetters. And the more we are able, you know, to to adjust our lives according to what we know to be true, the more powerful our practice becomes. And uh, it has its own, you know, intelligence and we don't need to... Um, you know, pull on the petals of the lotus to open. It will blossom by itself and our responsibility is, you know, to put the right causes and conditions into place by, you know, adjusting our lives as we go along. And, uh, yeah. And this poem... you know, by, by Soma, I, I think uh, I think she's a very courageous woman. You know, because at that time, for a, a, a woman to dare to think like this, you know, that that there is no difference between uh, a male and a female body, it was very very unheard of. You know, and that. Uh, you know, that this was possible at that time is is still today, I think, very radical. You know, at a time where it was, was really very, very difficult for women to have any agency in their lives, just a few, you know, of high-class women could do that. So uh, this poem is, uh, speaks a lot uh, about how powerful, you know, this teaching can become if we really integrated in our lives. So when I hand over to Anna Bodhi now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSeed.org slash donate.